Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. All right, let's hold our Bibles to heaven and say thank you, Father, for your holy written word. It's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your words are life to me and health to all of my flesh. I have what your word says I have. I am what your word says I am. I can do what your word says I can do. Holy Spirit, anoint my ears to hear, my heart to receive, and my mind to be open to the knowledge of the truth that makes me free. Quicken me according to the word. Change me from glory to glory. And I boldly say, I will never ever be the same again. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. We're talking about the resurrection this morning. Uh, and before we get into our notes, just quickly let me get you an update. Uh, we, this is Passion Week, the passion of our Lord this entire week. And this is what we celebrate. It's just a reminder of what he went through. But I want to set it up because many of you weren't here to hear all this, but I believe it's all important. We uh, basically have been looking at this from a challenging perspective. And we started in the beginning and we talked about how Lucifer, first of all, challenged God. Anybody remember that? Who won? God did. Who lost? Lucifer did, right? And what was his sentence? Eternal punishment in the lake of fire, right? Okay, praise God. So then, secondly, the second challenge was Satan comes along and challenges Adam and Eve's loyalty to God in the garden. Who won? Satan won. Adam and Eve lost. What's their sentence? Eternal separation from God, period. Eternal separation. And what's worst, everyone born out of Adam and Eve, eternally sentenced to a lake of fire, period. And what happens is Satan steals man's dominion. He kills him, his spirit, him spiritually. And then he destroys his ability to become what God wanted him to be. To exalt him and raise him up to a higher level than what he was. Seems like game over. Seems like it, right? Wrong. God has a substitute player. Head coach had something else in mind. And if Old Testament history could be summarized in one simple statement, it took him 4,000 years to get the substitute qualified to get in the game. To get into the challenge. And all Old Testament history is all about that. The Mosaic Law, the feasts, and... The rituals that they went through all pointed to one person whose name is Jesus. Jesus. And so during this last week of his passion, three of the feasts are going to be fulfilled. Passover, unleavened bread, and then the first fruits, which is what we celebrate today. But as he comes into the world, he comes as a babe. At the age of 30, he's getting qualified now. What does he do? He gets baptized in water to fulfill all righteousness, right? And then he comes up out of the water and when he does, the Holy Ghost comes on him and anoints him and he wreaks havoc with the kingdom of darkness, right? Number one, he overcomes Satan in the, up in the, in the wilderness when he's up there on the mountain of temptation. And Satan tried on all three rounds to defeat him, but he couldn't defeat him because he said, it is written, it is written, it is written, right? And we see at the end, and he's at the rock in the garden in Gethsemane, 
and basically he overcame Satan, but now he's overcoming self. Not my will be done, but thine will be done. He's sweating as if it were drops of blood, right? Okay, so now the last week, the week of his passion, he's entering into Jerusalem and he's riding on a donkey and the people are crying out, Hosanna, 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 save us now, save us now, save us now, throwing their cloaks on the ground. It looks like they're very expressive and loyal, but guess what? They are very shallow and not committed at all because by the end of the week, they're crying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, are they not? Mm-hmm. While he's coming into the eastern gate, what's happening? All the other lambs are coming in and they're being scrutinized to make sure that they qualify. They can't have any flaws without flaw, without blemish, in order to be sacrificed. So all the priests are doing all that. While the Lamb of God is entering in to be scrutinized by Pilate, by Herod, and everyone else, and he's found what? Innocent, not guilty. So he can go to the cross on Friday, if you want to say, I know some say Wednesday, some say Thursday, some say Friday, but he died. He died on Calvary's cross, did he not? He did, as our sin substitute. He took upon himself the sin of the world. And when he did, I'm sure Satan backed off and just said, game over, I win. Uh, uh, stop right there. He descended into the bowels of the earth as we talked about on Friday. And he took our punishment, our penalty for our sin. But on the third day, hallelujah, on the third day, God raised him from the dead. He said, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. He emerged from the grave. Hallelujah. And to his body. Body came out of that cocoon-like figure that was there in the tomb. And he arose and hurled from himself the forces of darkness to try to get him to stop from going into the high court of heaven. Because he carried his blood to the high court of heaven. And what he did, and he sprinkled the utensils of worship and the mercy seat, it meant redemption is complete. Hallelujah. The father can have sons and daughters now. So that's the, what we've been talking about. And for those that say, oh, you people that believe in religion, you know, you're just weak people. <laughs> Trust me. The challenge is between Lucifer, evil, and God, who is good. You've never played a football game like this before? You've never played an NHL hockey game like this before? No challenge you have ever experienced on this earth can begin to compare with what it takes to stand before God and stand up to a devil. And so when Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave, it was the greatest working of God's almighty power that he ever used among men. The greatest. And so we're going to talk about that. Is that okay this morning? Anybody got a place to go? stick around just for a little bit let's take a ride you ready all right the resurrection of our lord let's begin first corinthians chapter 15 begin at verse one four verses moreover brethren i declare to you the gospel which i preached to you which also you have received and wherein you stand by which also you are saved don't you love that thank god are you saved this morning it's because of the gospel. Okay, what is it? If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain, for I delivered you first of all that which I also received. In other words, who gave it to him? Jesus gave it to him. How would Paul even know this if, if God, Jesus didn't give it to him? But he did. He received how what? That Christ died in our place for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. It was prophesied in the Old Testament that they's going to come when the Christ will come, the Messiah, and he's going to die, okay, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures, so it was all predicted, it was all prophesied, and that's exactly what took place. 
The resurrection of our Lord is the key cardinal doctrine of our Christian faith. If it were not for the resurrection, Christianity crumbles and falls. All they would have to do is disprove the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of our Lord. And guess what? Christianity falls apart. You realize that we are the only belief system I, he I hesitate to say religion because Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship with the living God. There is no other religion that's known on the planet that boasts a resurrection from the dead. Why? Because when their leaders die, their bones rot in the grave. That's why. But Christianity, no. They tried to disprove it, but they couldn't. For example, Eastern religions... There are many Eastern religions that preach reincarnation. If you behave, guess what? Because of your good deeds, you can come back as some kind of upscale being. Who knows? A prince maybe. A queen maybe. Who knows? But if you misbehave, you could possibly come back as an insect. Maybe a bug or a frog. If you have enough lifetimes that you are behaved and you live right, guess what? You can reach nirvana. A transcendent state in which there's no suffering, no human desire, or anything like that. Almost like you're a godlike figure that's out there just enjoying happiness for all eternity. Okay. That's what they teach. Then, of course, you've got the Roman philosophical view that the body is only that which imprisons the soul of a man. That means as long as you're living in that body, you're imprisoned. And once your body dies and goes back to the dust of the earth, you live on somewhere, some state, somehow, but your body is gone forever. Period. That's it. Then you've got, of course, the perspective of the Greeks. And uh, we see this in Acts chapter 17. But here again, these individuals, what they think is that if you live your life upon this earth and you're imprisoned by this body, that one day, they can't explain a resurrection from the dead. They're not going to believe in that. As a matter of fact, they didn't even have any understanding of who God was and what he was like. But look at Acts chapter 17. Paul preaching at Athens to the Greeks on Mars Hill. And here's what he says. Because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness, that by man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. He's preaching a strong message to these individuals that are praying to an unknown God. And he says, look, he's, he's talking about who the real God is. And when they heard of the resurrection, they mocked him. Some mocked him. And others said, we will hear thee again of this matter. I'm telling you, the moment you say resurrected from the dead, they come unglued. There is no possible way a human being can be raised up from the dead. Once his body is decomposed and goes back to the dust of the earth, that is the end of that person's body. That is all there is to it. Then you've got the Sadducees, this Jewish sect of the religious faith, of the Jewish faith. And what, they, what did they believe? They did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. Once your body was dead, it was dead, and that was all there was to it. They didn't believe in the afterlife or anything like that. That's why they were sad, you see. We always talk about how sad they were. These sad, you see, it ends right there. And the list goes on and on. You've got others with other philosophies and all that sort of thing. But all they had to do was to do what? Disprove the resurrection of Jesus. And guess what? They, they win their case. Christianity tumbles and falls. It crumbles and it's gone. But oh, my brother and sister, 
There's been movies about it and all that. There's been research and all that. And we can go on and on and on and on. But guess what? They can't disprove the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. A bodily resurrection. They cannot disprove it in any way. And so we're going to talk about the resurrection past, present, and future. And the impact that it has upon our lives. So first, the past. Okay? Look in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. This is the past. The former treatise have I made, this is Luke speaking, who wrote the Gospel of Luke. O Theophilus, and of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs many infallible proofs infallible means what incapable of error incapable of making a mistake being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God so Jesus proved himself to be alive by many infallible proofs so let's look at our first infallible proof and we go of course to the broken Roman seal look at Acts chapter 12 and verse 1, um, verse 4 rather. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. This is speaking of Peter. I pointed out to show you that when the Romans set a guard and a seal before anyone, this is what, usually what they use. You've got four quaternions of soldiers, which means you've got 16 soldiers. Twelve of them stand guard and four sleep. So for those three days, three nights, that they were guarding the tomb of Jesus with the Roman seal, they were told, he said he'd rise again. To make sure he does not rise again, you put a Roman guard, you put a Roman seal, and anyone that gets near it and tries to tamper it with any way, death. You die. Well, the seal was broken. And from that point on, nothing happened other than a bunch of lies were told. Why? Because next, there was an empty tomb. And that empty tomb was examined by many individuals. Can you imagine when Mary just, she gets down there and she's going to go in and they're talking about how they're going to finish the, what they have to do with his face and, and all that. And she gets there to find out that the stone is rolled away. Because they were talking about how in the world can we possibly roll the stone away. Now you realize it weighs about 4,000 pounds. Now I know Brother Ben could roll that thing away. But I, I don't know about anybody else. Maybe Dante would help him and Dominic and whatever. 4,000 pounds on an on a incline, right? So she gets there. And of course an angel. Don't you love this? God is, has a good sense of humor. Angel sitting on a rock just saying, what's going on? Imagine that. Well, go and see. Go and see where he's at. And they go in there. What did they find? An empty tomb. They find the napkin that was over his face neatly folded in a corner somewhere. What significance does that have? You know that when you're eating a meal and you throw your nap napkin down crinkled, it means what? I'm done. It's finished. But when you fold it neatly and set it beside, what does that mean? I'm coming back for more. I'm coming back. 
So what message was Jesus leaving there in that empty tomb? I'm coming back. The third one. It's an empty tomb. I mean, we're talking about Peter and John went there. The other disciples went there. I'm sure even the Roman guards look inside. They saw that. They had to fabricate some lie. But now we've got 4,000 pound stone. 4,000 pound stone on a decline. And that would be an incline to go up to move it away. But the stone has been thrown so far away from the opening. That they understood that no man could possibly do that. So there it is. It's, it's removed so far away that they have no explanation for it. How do you explain that? And so once again, they've got to come up with all these lies to, to fabricate something. Yeah, the women went and stole the body. Yeah, they beat up 16 Roman rough soldiers. They broke the seal, removed the stone, went in and took the body out. Well, the problem with that is the next thing. What about the grave clothes? See, the grave clothes, they anno- now remember, there's a hundred pound of myrrh and ointments that they embalmed the body with as was the Jewish custom. And so they wrapped him as quickly as they could, embalmed him, put him in the tomb, and there he is. But on the third day when he arose from the dead, guess what they saw when they looked inside? This is almost like the secret, you say, proof, a cocoon. Can you imagine looking in there and seeing nothing but a cocoon? Where a body once was involved in, and all you got is the shell, the outer shell, the cocoon. How do you explain that? They had no clue. If someone stole the body, why would they take the time to possibly unwrap it, which is really practically impossible. The ointment itself would have killed him. There was so much of it. If he wasn't dead, like people say, he was a swoon theory. But no, they see the cocoon. Look at the next one. And I love this one. The resurrection of other saints. In Matthew's gospel, 27, beginning at verse 50. Look at what it says. Man, when I read this for the first time, my hair stood up. Back of my neck. My arms. My goosebumps had goosebumps. Jesus, when he cried again, with a loud voice, yielded up the Holy Ghost, or the ghost rather, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. And the graves were open, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after the resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. This was the original night of the living dead. This is where they got their inspiration from. Notice they were the saints of old that came out. Now can you imagine if you're in Jerusalem? Can you imagine if the Christ just died on, on Golgotha's hill? And can you imagine now everybody's thinking, well, really, he's defeated. Their hopes are gone. We're under Roman Empire once again in their rule. And they're going to reign over us. And it just goes on and on and on and on. When all of a sudden Isaiah knocks on your door and says, who has believed my report? To whom have the arms of the Lord revealed? He's the Messiah. He's raised from the dead. And then you see Jeremiah saying, I agree. And then you got Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego knocking on your door. And just to make it more believable, Grandma, who died about 10 years ago, shows up on your doorstep and says, Hey, uh, just want to let you know that Jesus is alive and he's the Messiah. He's the Lord of all. This didn't happen in a closet in a corner somewhere. 
It happened right there. The graves that they saw were open. Saints came out of the graves with their bodies and they went into the town and they proclaimed that Jesus is alive. What do you do with that? Then the next one. The appearances of Jesus himself. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Who taught Paul the gospel? Jesus did. Okay. Paul at the time was Saul and Paul really didn't even know all this but here's what Jesus shared with him and that he was risen and that he was seen. Remember he was risen from the dead. He was seen of, the, of Cephas, Peter. He was then seen of the twelve. After that he was seen of above 500 brethren. It was been estimated that if you had 500 eyewitnesses that witnessed a thing and each one of them spent six minutes in a court of law and gave their testimony what they saw it would take 50 hours of court time just to hear everyone's testimony so imagine this he, he was seen of the 50 brethren at once of whom the greater part remain unto the present they were still alive but some are fallen asleep after that he was seen of James his half brother and then of all the apostles and last of all he was seen of me also as one born out of due time and that's important right there because the next evidence or proof that we have that's infallible is the one who's writing what we're reading. Go back to Acts chapter 9 verse 1. Saul who was to become Paul hated Christianity, hated the name of Jesus, hated any follower of Christ and he was so zealous he was putting anyone and everyone in prison having them killed he was responsible for the first Christian martyr uh, Stephen who died and he they brought the clothes of, of Stephen put him to his feet he was bent on destroying Christianity from the root and stopping it because it was doing what gaining momentum and it was undermining Judaism and he didn't like it so Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and desired of them letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, which is what it was called then, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus. And suddenly, oh, I love the suddenlies of the Bible. There shined round about him a light from heaven. He fell to the earth. He heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? He said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And from that point on, you know the story. He was blinded. Ananias came in, laid hands on him. Jesus told him he's going to do great things for me. He's going to have to go to the, to the Gentiles. He's going to have to go to kings and all that. And he's going to minister the gospel, which is what he did. But this is an infallible proof that, that you could take someone who was such just an individual so against Christianity and turn him around a 180 and have him now preaching the very one he wanted to kill and, and just absolutely st st stamp out and crumble Christianity an infallible proof and then you got the two on the road to Emmaus and you've got so many more things beloved all they had to do was come up with a body and they couldn't. So, resurrection passed. They couldn't disprove it. And what about today? What about now? Back to 1 Corinthians 15. If he's not alive, then our faith is futile. Is not the resurrection why we're here today? Is not the resurrection what this life is all about? 
Let's read it. 1 Corinthians 15. Pick it up at verse 12. Now if Christ be preached that he is rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. How say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. Later in the chapter, you know what he says? If Christ isn't risen, why are you here today? Eat, drink, and be merry. Because one day, either you're going to be a bug, or you're going to go back to the dust of the earth. So why? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. If Christ be not risen, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is also vain. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God. Because you have, we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ not, be not raised, your faith is vain. You're yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perish. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we're of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Hallelujah. What is that saying? Yeah, there are those out there in the world today, they believe, oh, this is all ridiculous. Sometimes you watch some of these uh, hosts on TV, and I can name a few that are atheists and all that, and they try to mock Christianity and put everybody that believes down. And sometimes I wonder when I hear these believers sitting there talking to these individuals that are, that are interviewing them, why don't you say, but what about the resurrection? But what about the resurrection? What about the resurrected Christ who is still alive today? You can say what you want, but praise God, the tomb is empty and there's valid proof. As a matter of fact, how many of you know Josh McDowell? In the books that he's written, Josh McDowell, when he was in college, he set out to disprove Christianity. He was an intellectual, and as far as he was concerned, there is no possible way that Christianity is true. As a matter of fact, he got into some churches where he had nothing but religion. He couldn't stand it. Walked out of it and said, this is absolutely a farce. I don't want anything to do with religion. Until so, finally, some, some people, a group of people, probably Capra Crusade for Christ, at a college where he was at, showed him love and he saw that there was love but he hated what they believed and so finally they challenged him and says why don't you and do yourself a study and why don't you find out whether or not the, the crucifixion and resurrection are true and he did and after all this intellectual studies and all that that he did getting all kind of information from all kind of different sources and all that and he just exhausted every resource he concluded that you cannot disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ it is absolutely true he became a born again blood washed child of almighty God and went around to every college saying that Jesus is alive he's risen from the dead it's an absolute fact you realize this, it's one of the most authenticated events in human history because so many tried to disprove it, but they cannot. So, your faith is not in vain. Living for Christ is not in vain. Why? Because you all have a destination and a destiny to live on this earth. And one day you will leave this realm of life. But when you do and leave your body behind, I want you to know God has a plan for that. We'll talk about that in just a moment. And then also, the, what about this? The power of regeneration. You talk about the power of the resurrection. Let's read it. Romans chapter 10. The Jews try to have righteousness before God, how? By keeping the law and the Ten Commandments and doing the right things by their works and all that. 
And Paul begins to talk to them and tell them, these individuals at the church here at Rome, and he says, look, these brethren of mine, the Jews, they're trying to seek righteousness on their own. But the righteousness that comes to us comes by faith, not by works. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in your heart that he's a good person and believe your heart that he is a wonderful example and believe in your heart that he is a good teacher, someone that you can follow, No, but if you believe in your heart that God had raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Oh, I'm telling you, there is saving power in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For with the heart man believes to righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made to what? Salvation. In other words, you can't be saved if you don't believe in the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when you confess it, I'm telling you, death leaves and life comes to your spirit. We're talking about present power of the resurrection of Jesus is to do what? To save your sin-sick soul. Have you been to the fountain? Have you been to the fountain of his blood? Have you been washed from your guilty stains? It's all because God raised him up from the dead on the third day. He's alive right now and took his blood to the high court of heaven and obtained eternal redemption for every single one of us. That's why we can say, I'm born again, blood-washed child of Almighty God. I'm on my way to glory and I know it, praise God, I know it. Why? Because he lives, I live also. And then uh, also, let's, let's see here. Uh, because of his resurrection, obviously, what do we have? Forgiveness. Are you glad for that? But look at this one in Romans, Romans 8, 11. We've been born again, but look at this. You talk about resurrection. Matter of fact, I believe someone, if not more than one, are going to get healed by his power this morning just by listening to this verse of Scripture. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal body by his spirit that dwells in you. In other words, by his spirit that raised up the emaciated body of Jesus from the dead. Hallelujah that left that cocoon behind and brought it out. You saw the passion of the Christ. You saw how badly he was shredded by the Roman lictor. You saw what he looked like, which was nothing compared to him becoming sin for us, but still his body was emaciated. The power that raised up Jesus from the dead and quickened his mortal body and gave it a resurrected, glorified body. If he dwells in you, he will quicken your mortal body by his spirit that's indwelling you that raised up Christ from the dead. Put your hands on yourself and say, the spirit that raised up Jesus dwells in me and is now quickening my mortal body, giving it life and giving it health and giving it wholeness and soundness of mind. I call myself delivered. I call myself set free. I call myself made whole because the Holy Ghost lives in me the power that raised up Jesus from the dead because of the resurrection we're forgiven because of the resurrection we are healed delivered and set free because of the resurrection praise God we have access to the throne of God and authority over all the powers of evil look in the book of uh, Ephesians chapter 1 thank God thank God we've got authority now notice this is all connected to what the resurrection of our Lord the eyes of your understanding he prays would be enlightened that you would know the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance of the saints and the exceeding greatness of his power notice these words the exceeding greatness of his power to us word who believe according to the working of his mighty power that he wrought in Christ when when he raised him from the dead 
and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places far above all principality, power, might, dominion, every name of his name. For the benefit of the church, put all things under his feet, made him the head of all things for the benefit of the church, which is the fullness of him that filleth all in all. But my point was, if we can see this, and it's almost as if time stood still for just a moment. And when Christ cried out and said, my God, why have you forsaken me? Into your hands I commend my spirit. In other words, it's out of my control now. I'm descending into the abyss, the Bible says. Get Friday's teaching and you'll see it. I ascend to the, to the abyss, the lower regions of Hades, along with the rich man and the wicked. And upon him was all of our sin. A quiet moment in heaven. And finally, when the claims of justice were satisfied, when he says, my righteous servant, I'll see the travail of his soul. And when he justifies many, I will declare. Okay? He looks over the banishers of heaven, and he says, thou art my son. This day, speaking of the resurrection, Acts 13, have I begotten thee, procreated thee, given birth to you. He, he speaks those words, and I could only pray that we will have in heaven someday on the biggest screen you ever saw how it happened how many of you would be interested in watching that movie I'd be an usher passing out popcorn to be honest with you <laughs> put me in a corner somewhere but I want to see this thing why because he made the heavens and the earth in what six days that's child's play but it said to raise him from the dead was the exceeding greatness of God's almighty power to bring life out of death was the greatest working of his almighty power that cost him the life of his son. And when he shouted down from heaven above, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee, he was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, by the power of God. He hurled off all that death stood for. He went, remember he says he entered the, the strong man's house and, and spoils his goods. He bound the strong man. I don't know the sequence. I don't know how it all happened, but I know that it happened. He took back what the devil took from us. He took back what the devil took from Adam. He stole his dominion. Jesus got it back. He killed his life. He gave us life. Amen. He destroyed his ability to become what God wanted him to be. But guess what? Jesus gives us the ability to become what God wants us all to be because of resurrection power in our lives. He's alive, praise God. He's not a dead Savior. These people that serve God that have eyes that don't see, ears that don't hear, hands that reach out, can't do anything, feet that they cannot walk. All they do is stand there and look at you because they're nothing but a statue. But praise God, our God is alive. He's a living God. He has eyes to see, ears to hear, hands that reach out. Praise God. Aren't you glad that you serve a risen Savior this morning? And you're not coming back as a bug. You're going to be in glory with Him as He is. So are you in this world. Oh, thank you, Jesus. We're talking about the present power of the resurrection and the influence it has over our lives. Look at Philippians chapter 3. This is the Apostle Paul. And remember, before these scriptures here that you read, he says, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisee, Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law. Listen, I was faultless, I was blameless as touching the law. Imagine that. The prestige that he had, the honor that he had to have such a high place among the Pharisees, right? That he could boast, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was boasting. He knew that on purpose. I was a, above the law. In other words, I was flawless when it comes to the law, right? But now look what he says. This is from the Amplified Bible. 
my determined purpose is that I may know him, that I may progressively become more deeply, intimately acquainted with him, perceiving, recognizing, and understanding the wonders of his person, and more strongly and more clearly, and that I may in that same way come to know the power outflowing from his resurrection which it exerts over believers and that I may so share in his sufferings and so be continually transformed in spirit to his, in his likeness even to his death in the hope that if possible I may attain the spiritual moral resurrection that is that lifts me out from among the dead even while I'm in this body you know what he was saying was he wanted to be a distinct difference from all people of the world because resurrection power would so overtake his life that it would just ooze out of him everywhere he went but notice it was the power of the resurrection that he's talking about that influenced his life and I guarantee you today you're all here because you believe in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead that's why you're here today I'm telling you you disprove it Christianity's gone but nobody can disprove it hallelujah finally our future look at John chapter 5 Here's Jesus speaking. Remember, this isn't all there is. We're talking about ultimate victory here. This isn't all there is. This is Jesus speaking. Marvel not at this. For the hour is coming in which, in the which, all that are in the grave shall hear his voice. And shall come forth. They that have done good under the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. There is a future, future coming for the unrighteous and for the righteous. Look at Daniel chapter 12 because he spoke of this in the Old Testament. It was prophesied. Many of those whose bodies lie dead and buried will rise up. Some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting disgrace. And then also look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep or that have died, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, notice what it's based on, the resurrection. Even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Notice how specific he is. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord that we which are alive and remain to the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God or the shofar. And the dead in Christ shall rise first, those bodies that are in the grave. Every time I do a funeral service at the grave site, I'm standing there on that, on that soil, I call it resurrection soil. People might see that as where bodies are just lying in rest there. I call it resurrection soil. I see the graves open. I see the dead in Christ arising. Can you see them just bursting out of those graves? Praise God. Then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds and meet, the Lord. They meet them in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore comfort one another with these words. With what words? Our resurrection, praise God, is based on the resurrection of Christ. Because of his death, burial, and resurrection, praise God, God has satisfied the claims of justice held against mankind. Because of his resurrection, which they could not disprove, hallelujah, we have a present influence in our lives to see to it that we live for him. And because we live for him based on the resurrection, are you ready for this? Your loved one, you're going to see your loved one again. Your loved one is not gone forever. Your loved one is not a bunch of dust that's 
that's in the, on the earth or scattered in the ocean somewhere along the seas. Your loved one is going to one day come together once again in bodily form. It's going to be glorified and changed. If he comes in our lifetime, we're going to be changed. And together we're going to be caught up and we're going to meet Jesus and them in the air. And praise God, we're going to go up to heaven for seven years and we're going to shout the praises of Almighty God. Hallelujah. All because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Beloved, it's, it's this teaching. Come on up here, praise team. That distinguishes Christianity from every other religion in the world. Doesn't matter what religion. None can boast the resurrection of their founder. His grave is empty. The tomb is empty. There are no bones. He's been raised up. He's alive right now. He's appeared unto many. He showed himself alive by infallible proofs. And we are here to celebrate this supper that really symbolizes his death, his burial, his resurrection. Past, present, and future. And I don't know about you, but I'm going to run around the church three times as soon as we get done. <laughs> Hallelujah. Glory to God. He's alive. Oh, thank you, Jesus. And because he lives, we shall live also. Hallelujah. Who wins the battle? Jesus. Who won the victory? Jesus. Hi, Pastor Bill here. I want to thank you for joining us today. On behalf of my wife, Krista, and Krista Selby Church, I want you to know that we're here to serve you and your family. Whether you have young children or kids in elementary school. If you're a teenager or a young adult, we have a passion to provide a safe and comfortable environment where you can grow in God and build a solid foundation of His love for you. And with that foundation, we encourage you to take the gospel of Jesus Christ with you wherever you go. It is our heart at Christian Assembly to be an outreach, to be the hand of God toward Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. We want to join as the body of Christ to make one last trumpet call before the final trumpet sound. And through a life of worship, bring in a harvest of people. With whatever gifts God has given you, we want you to be free to share those gifts and talents. Life is most fulfilled when we share God's love with others. And in all that we do, we want to demonstrate the power of the name of Jesus to the world through a ministry of excellence to God first and then also to you. So whatever the situation, Wherever you are, whatever you're going through, I want you to know that we love you and God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And that plan begins by making Jesus the Lord and the Savior of your life. And if you've never made that decision yet, I'd like to invite you to pray a simple prayer with me. And if you will, Jesus will become your Savior and your Lord. Just repeat after me this prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I now accept you and receive you as my personal Savior and Lord. Heavenly Father, I have called on the name of Jesus. I'm now your child in Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.